you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Life Community. So glad that you guys are here today. Welcome all of you who are joining us online. We are going to be in 1 Peter today, chapter 2. So feel free to flip there if you have a Bible, either on your phone or in person. Uh, We'll have it on the screen as well. Before we jump into that, just want you guys to know that next week we're going to have what we call core meeting. And so if you're a person that considers this to be your home church, just know that we're going to have a meeting after service. Got a couple staff changes we want to communicate, as well as kind of letting you know what's, going to, what's happening in our budget, and even talking about what's in the future, how we're going to progress forward in this kind of interesting COVID season. So uh, please make that note of that. With that, let's just jump into Scripture today. First Peter, we're going to chapter 2, verse... 9 through 17. God's word says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, a supreme, or to governors, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, But living as servants of God, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. God, we believe that your word is living. We believe that it's active. We believe that it changes our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray and give you permission today in your spirit to convict us and to move us by your word that we would understand that we're just not an ordinary people. But we are a people of your own possession, a people that are called to live in a certain way, a people that reflect your goodness and your love to the world. And so God, use this time to compel with us, in us, a new understanding, a fresh approach to what we believe we are, specifically as we approach the topic of work. And so we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I just want to thank Adam and Caleb, who were up here the last two weeks. Magnificent job uh, by the two of them. I, 
you don't know this, but years, uh, year, in years past, there's just been a fervent prayer of my heart that God would have raised up teachers. And, and it's such an answered prayer to have people like Caleb and Adam and David who love the word and teach it with such conviction. And so just thankful for them. But I also just say, would you encourage them as well? I know it seems as it is a basic idea to come up here and just sort of compel some understanding about Scripture, but what you don't maybe see is the scrutiny that you put yourself under. Anytime you have a voice in a public sphere like this in today's culture, you subject yourself to criticism and scrutiny, and not just for you, but for your family. So uh, just encourage them. They just do a phenomenal job, and we're just going to keep them coming back up here. Uh, They did a great job of starting this series that we are in called Set Apart, just kind of understanding that as God's people, we're, we're just not an ordinary people. We are set apart. We have a different flavor in almost every aspect of our lives, every part of our lives should be set apart. And so here's just a a reality. We have an immense struggle, an immense struggle with taking what we claim and believe on Sunday and rolling it into our Mondays. We have trouble taking what we hold true and say that we believe and making it work out in our Mondays and the rest of the weeks. When we come to church, we are coming here with whether it's a conscious or subconscious profession that we believe that there is a God, or or maybe that we believe that there might be a God. A profession that says that God has or might speak into my life. A profession that says that God has or might change my life. Your presence here is a confession of at least one of those ideas a confession of one of those ideas. So we struggle then taking what we believe on Sundays and rolling it into our Mondays. Now, somebody in here could be here because somewhere along the way, you haven't been here in a while, you heard there was going to be a donut when you got here, and you are disappointed because there is none. And I would just say I'm sorry Right? But I'm glad that you're here. Uh, you can just, there are other people who feel the same way. You can just blend in there. Right? But we struggle with taking what we believe on Sunday into our Mondays. But Adam did a great job of starting us off and using the word to remind us that we are new creations, not just ordinary people. We're Christ's chosen people, his own possession, being remade into the image of a son, Christ Jesus, through the Spirit of God. And what that means is there isn't a capillary or a cell in my body, not a part of my life, that should not submit and heed the wisdom and love of God that is making me into something I could never be, namely God's precious son, or daughter. He is taking the darkness in my life and he's revealing things. He's bringing light into me. And that identity of being loved by the Son, that story of God's own people is a label that we must take with us everywhere we go in every circumstance that we have because it's weightier than any other role or title that we will ever get in this life. Uh, one of the roles that I play in this world in this lifetime is that I'm a dad, right? And and I carry that title into every 
role, every place, everywhere I go, all of my decisions sort of filter through that lens. How is this going to affect my kids? Is this going to let me have more time with them? Is this going to honor my family? Will this make them laugh? Every decision is filtered through that title. Every decision. But how much greater is my label as God's son or daughter than my role as an earthly father? Jesus authors and informs every role and label that I have here on earth. He should never, ever submit to any of those. That is the wrong priority in life. The wrong priority in life. So let's take this idea of being set apart into one of the most significant elements of our life, work. Uh, Something that we spend a significant amount of time doing. And let's approach this idea of work fully confessing that we don't necessarily know how to integrate my label as God's son or daughter into my work, but being fully convinced that my father wishes that I would. And so where does work come from? Who's the author of this evil problem of our lives that forces me to wake up and consume massive amounts of sugar and carbs and coffee just to keep going through the day? Who's this weird committee or people that forces me to not be at home watching Netflix and be at work? Well, let's look in Scripture, and we will find not only the author, but we will even find its purpose, and we find it in the very first page of our Bible, in Genesis 1. So in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2, this is what we read. In the beginning, what a great phrase that lets us know that something epic is going to be said here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And so here's our culprit, God himself. God himself authored work. He designed work. But not only that, God himself is the first worker. What is God's work? Well, God takes what is formless, and void and darkness, and he brings order. He, he cultivates and makes boundaries. He creates. He creates light, separates the day from the night. You know the sort of the creation story. He creates dry land and then water and vegetation and seasons and living creatures, and then he creates us as his magnificent masterpiece. And so we read in Scripture, God putting all of this great potential, like putting a Mentos in a Diet Coke and just shutting the lid, just this massive world of potential and energy that needs cultivating. And if you've read your scriptures and you know Genesis 1 and 2, you know that the creation story is not told just once, it's told twice, and it's told from a different perspective. In chapter 2, we see the same thing, God ordering the heavens and the earth. He orders the heavens and the earth. And then he says this, On the seventh day, God finished his work, what had been done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. What did God rest from? 
He rested from his work. And he made the seventh day, the day that he rested, holy. And we call that the Sabbath. And we're going to skip over that right now. Love to get into detail that. That may happen next week. But there are two different creation narratives in our scripture. And in Genesis 2, after God orders creation, he sort of laments that there's no one there to tend it, to care for it. And so what does God do? God makes man. And what does he do with man? Well, we read in Genesis 2.15 that the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. God puts mankind into the garden to work it and to keep it. Now, the original language of our Old Testament is Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the word for work kind of brings this idea of serving, that we are serving this creation. We are serving God. And the word keep means to preserve, to watch over. And so the scriptures would say that we are to cultivate and preserve God's creation and all that he's put in it to work as God's co-workers, that we will cultivate the land that he created and all that is in it, to care for it, to watch over it, just as he did in the beginning when God took what was voidless and formless and brought order and cultivated it. That is what we are to do. And so here's what I want you to see today. Part of what I want you to see is work is a primary purpose of mankind. Work is a primary purpose of mankind. There wasn't a committee somewhere that says, how can I make people miserable? I know, let's make them work 40 hours a week or more. You were created to work. Work is a primary purpose of mankind. I want you to hold on to that phrase because it's not complete yet. You were created to work, to cultivate, to watch over this world, to use your gifts and talents to build and make just as he did, I do. Just as he did, I do. But that's not only the work that God gave us, because in the scriptures, in the garden, God says that we should be fruitful and multiply, right? The scripture says, be fruitful and multiply and what? Subdue the earth. And so our work isn't just in cultivating and preserving, it's in procreation and subduing. And we hear that word subdue, and it can have this negative connotation in today's environment. Nobody likes to think about being subdued, but this is God speaking before the fall. And what God is trying to compel to us is that this world that is chock full of his beauty and his love and his just massive amounts of potential, that it is our job to tame it, to watch over it, to create from within it. That is the idea of what it means to subdue. Subduing is taming. And you might say, well, I'm not a farmer, and I don't work in gardens per se, but I would say this, any time we are using God's gifts, whether it's in the home or outside of the house, we are participating in God's work. It's not something that we have to leave our home to do. It's something that we are created to do always. Work is a primary purpose of mankind. It's not solely our purpose. 
There are many things in the New Testament that are equal and primary in our purpose, but work is definitely a part of it. But here's the caveat. Here's the caveat. We were created to work, right? Work is a primary purpose of mankind, but it isn't our primary identity. It is not our primary identity. So I want to be clear that work is a part of what we're created to do. It it wasn't something that came along later, but I want to be careful to differentiate purpose from identity. Today, we often order identity and work in a way that if somebody were to ask you who you are, you might do what? You might tell them what you do. And so if somebody's going to meet me at a party, they're going to say, what do you do? And it's going to get awkward, right? Because then I'm going to say, I'm a pastor. And then it'll get silent. And they'll say, oh, you really like Jesus, don't you? And then, then people just kind of, oh, hey, the, they just put out some stuff on the buffet. I'll go over here. That's just the way it works. But we sort of have this belief that identity is based upon what you do. But Scripture really sees that different. In fact, it flips the order. Scripture would say that who you are creates what you do. Who you are creates what you do. What you do comes from whom you are. Because we read in Genesis that long before you labeled or labored, you were labeled. You were labeled long before you labored. And we see that in this beautiful scripture in Genesis 1. Verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is your label, image bearer. In Genesis, the word man is often spoken as meaning mankind. And these verses remind us that mankind was created male and female, meaning this, is that the full image of God is not the capacity of one gender. And this is why when we talk about marriage, it talks about being one flesh, because when we come together and submit to one another and submit to God, we are coming together and making a fuller image of God that the world might see God more fully through a healthy marriage. So you were created in the image of God to express God's image and character and uniqueness to the world. And so here's why that's important. You were created to work, but your work wasn't created to serve you. You were created to work. You were created to work to reflect and glorify and honor the one that made you the one that created you. You are reflecting the image of God in your work back unto creation that they would see the kind of God that we serve. And so I'll illustrate it like this. Uh, I'm a Mac guy. I, I like Apple computers. Uh, I wasn't always that way, but I've been convinced somewhere along the line that Apple computers were vastly better than any other brand. And I know that might offend some of you in this room, All right, so I apologize. And you may say, well, you only believe that because you drank the Kool-Aid because they're really good at marketing and making that stuff really cool. And I would just say, I like Kool-Aid. All right, and and I still think think it's better. But when I work, I tend to work in different spots. I 
and in a lot of different coffee shops. And if you see me there, and you're welcome to stop by and say hi, you'll see my MacBook. And you'll see that little apple lit up on the front of it. And if you would come over, and you would certainly be allowed to, and you wanted to look at what I was doing, you would see a proficiency of work and capability in that Mac computer that you may have never seen in your life. And you may say, wow, Apple makes a great product. Do you know what you won't say? You won't say, wow, C02PX3VXG8WN, which is my serial number, is a fantastic product. You won't say, C02PXWG, and blah, blah, blah. Must really know what it's doing. That would be silly. The proficiencies and work of my computer don't invoke praise for my device. They create reverence to the one whom created it, designed it, and programmed it. Apple gets the credit. And you want to go out and buy an Apple computer because of it. And I say that because the crux of creation's issues today start from God's image bearer living out of their work and not out of their label. When we turn in Scripture to the third chapter of Genesis, we will see humanity that was good and great become ruptured. This perfect order in creation becomes fractured when mankind chooses work over label. And the Scripture speaks of humanity, us, that we were deceived in the garden to think that God was holding out on us. The serpent, which represents evil and the enemy, Satan, spoke to mankind and made us believe that there was more, that God was keeping secrets from us. In the garden, God created everything, and it was beautiful, and he said, it's yours, enjoy it, have fun, it's good, just not this one tree. You can have everything you want, just this one tree, you can't. And that is a good deal. And what that one tree reminds us of is that this world was created good for us to enjoy, but it must be enjoyed by trusting God and His wisdom and obeying God who made it and designed it in the first place because He knows what's best. That tree speaks to us that we need to trust God. But we began to believe that God was holding out on us. And in it, we lost focus. We took our focus off the sufficiency and the enjoyment of being fully gods. And we developed a suspicious belief that said, well, what's in this for me? What's in this for me? God is holding out on me. We detached our work from our identity and we elevated ourselves over God. And instead of working harmoniously with God as his co-worker, trusting his provision, trusting his care, humanity chose themselves. And the whole thing changed. And work was redefined. And you feel it today. Because in Genesis 3, after the fall, God turns to Adam and he says these words. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread 
till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Work was cursed, and perfect fulfillment and satisfaction that was once found is now absent in it. And we say that fully understanding that creation is still, because God is good, it's chock full of potential and energy for us to cultivate. But now there's resistance. Now there's resistance. Things don't always work like they do. The ideas of working and keeping have been swept away. And more selfish ideas that take, take this idea of subduing and now it's made it exploiting. What once was good, now we exploit for ourselves. And this is the climate that we find ourselves in today. Created to work, whether that be at home, at a job, on the farm, created to work, but working in a reality because of sin where resistance and selfishness is abundant. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that are good and satisfying. It just means that they're harder to come by. That there is com complexity because there are people who are now working for themselves. Working to bring praise, fame, and honor for themselves. And so maybe you're like, thanks, Steve. Now I know why my boss is such a jerk. He's cursed. And maybe you're like, well, now I understand why I feel that resistance every time I want to get out of bed. And so, yeah, one could say, if you wanted to give an incomplete sermon, that, hey, work will never be as satisfying as you think it's going to be. It just won't. Just man up and get through it. And, and part of that is true. Work will never be as satisfying as you hoped it would be but it forgets the hope of Jesus Christ, the one that brought redemption and peace to the world. As a follower of Jesus, we redeem work by elevating our label as greater than our work because Christ's sacrifice has done everything that is needed for me to be restored in relationship with God. And because of that, I can work fully out of my label because I need nothing else besides Christ in my life. And so I work out of my label. My work is an overflow of who I am in Jesus, that I might reflect to the world the character and the beauty and the love and the power of God. And so Paul writes this, this way in Colossians 3. He says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. We work as God's co-workers and co-heirs, through Jesus. You are God's co-workers and co-heirs through Jesus to cultivate and create and order his creation and all that is in it in his name. There is a dignity to work. A dignity to work. Not all work, and we'll get to that later, but there is a dignity of work because God created it and God started it. When I say dignity, what I'm meaning is you're doing what you created to do. The square peg has found the square hole. It's a good thing. And as we talk about work, we use a lot of different agricultural terms in this section. 
But it's not limited to being a farmer. God didn't intend everybody to be a farmer, so you're going to relax a little bit. Your work is anytime you're using God's gift to cultivate and build. So you can work and, and, and love God and, and be dignified, whether you're a factory worker or you work in a park or whether your work is at home. And just as a sidebar, I just want to just raise this up. Like, work it doesn't start when you punch the clock. Part of procreating and the work of procreating is teaching. We're not rabbits. We just don't create offspring and just let them go. Part of procreation is teaching and discipling our children. And what can often be said is that we give the greatest energy and hours of our lives to a work that is not in the home because, listen, we are celebrated more there. When I accomplish my goals, when I get on task and I do things, there's a measure of celebration that just doesn't happen as much as home in being a dad or a mom. But make no mistake, the primary design for work is that it begins in the home. And we can often be guilty of sort of exporting our responsibilities to our families, to other people, but God calls us to be the one that disciples our family. Because make no mistake, somebody is discipling your family. And God has given that responsibility to us. Work is dignified everywhere because it's not separated from your real life. Work is a primary purpose of your life. Now, there is a work that isn't dignified. Anytime we work and we are exploiting people to gain personally and professionally, that is not a work that is dignified. God never exploits people. And we have to be careful about how we treat people and how we view people. Because work is this amazing place, isn't it? It's this, you could say, a, th a threshing ground where I get all the opportunities throughout the day to choose to work for myself or choose to work out of my label. Work gives me countless opportunities to walk in a manner that is worthy of God and not please myself. And we need to be careful with that decision. And so we are set apart as believers because we believe work is dignified on all levels. It doesn't matter if you're pushing a button to produce something in a factory or you have thousands of people underneath you and millions in the bank to balance. All work is dignified equally and is to be honored. That's what sets us apart. But not only that, we see work as worship. Work is worship. Caleb last week spent a lot of time talking about worship with this great question, for whom's pleasure is it? For whom's pleasure am I doing this? When we work as a believer, we are, whether you know it or not, you are worshiping God because you are using the arms and the legs and the mind and the strength that he created you with. You are giving him good attention by using what he's given you. And so when I use my time and my energy to create and cultivate and build and produce, 
and we are selfless in those things, like we are worshiping God. We are worshiping and showing how good God is. Have you ever thought about your work as worship? Have you ever thought about using the faculties that God gives you as as a part of worshiping Him to do it with excellence? What kind of song are you singing to God through your work? Does it show Him in His true character? Or is it just us trying to get by and go through the motions? Make no mistake, your work matters to God. Your work matters to God. We are working unto the Lord, not to man. And here's the other thing that sets us apart as believers in work. We see work as witness. So work is worship, and work is witness. The Bible says, let your light shine in front of people. Why? So that they may see your good works and give praise to who? Give praise to the Father. When we take a different temperament into our work, when we believe that work is dignified on all levels, and we believe that through our work we worship God, we create a strong witness to the beauty and the love and the temperament and character of God. When we say to honor God, many times we think of it's using our words. And listen, we should use our words to talk to our friends about who God is. But if we are doing our work in a way that we are performing unto the Lord, that we're achieving excellence, that we're using all that we have to serve him in a selfless way, you are creating a tremendous witness for who God is in your life. If we treat people as Christ did, if we are generous, if we don't think of ourselves too highly, we are a living testimony to the beauty and the love of God. You know, some of the most powerful people, and maybe you can attest to this in your work environment, some of the most powerful people are those humble coworkers of yours that refuse to sacrifice their belief and compromise their morals and ethics to get ahead. There is power in that humility, but also there is joy in that work. And so, we need to come together today and remind ourselves that work is a primary purpose in our life. It's not something that's optional. We were created to do it. But we have to understand that there is resistance. And there are going to be people in your life that are going to make your work hard. But as a believer, we're set apart. And we see work as dignified. And we choose to count others more important than ourselves than to exploit them for our own personal gain. And we see our work not just as something I do, but as a means of worshiping God by using what he has given to me to cultivate and build the things on this earth, this world that's packed full of potential, and ultimately to see that our work is witness. We are testifying to the beauty and the love and the power and the character of God by how we work. We have a tremendous opportunity to show the world a different perspective of work. But it starts with us taking what we proclaim and believe on Sunday 
and rolling it into our Mondays. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that uh, this idea of work is hard. And it's just been cultivated to us that work is sort of this obstacle that's in our way of actually doing the things that we want to do. But Lord, your word says that we were created to work. Not only that we were created to work, we're created to work alongside of you. And so, Lord, will you just convict and compel our hearts that we would begin to work from our label and that we wouldn't find our label through our work, but our work would be an overflowing of our label as a son and daughter of you, that we are set apart, that see work with dignity and work as worship and work as witness. And we pray this through the most powerful name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.